Welcome to Living on Purpose. I'm Mark Pumphrey along with my co-host, Dr. Christy Stewart, coming to you from the Circle City, Indianapolis, Indiana. But we're not in the studio today. We are actually at Stoutfield Military Base right here in Indy. And there... Soundproof studio. Their soundproof studio, as you can probably tell. No birds. <laughs> and it serves as a joint force headquarters here for the Indiana National Guard. And this is the first time I've ever been on a military base, so this is kind of cool for me. And we are really happy to be here since next Monday is Memorial Day. We wanted to do something to honor our military. And today's guest is Sergeant First Class Wall. And he is here, and he's actually a full-time... Yes, sir. I'm AGR with the Indiana Army National Guard. Okay, fantastic. And, you know, today we wanted to take a look at Memorial Day as a national holiday, right? What it stands for and how we can spend a little bit more time embracing its true meaning. So we wanted to thank you again. And can you kind of give us a brief background of what you do here? Sure. So currently I'm a readiness NCO for an infantry unit, a little bit different uh, field than what I had been working for the past three and a half years previous to that. Um, I'm the former operations NCO for the Military Department of Indiana Ceremonial Unit. The unique thing about our unit here in Indiana is there's only approximately four National Guards in the nation that have a ceremonial unit similar to ours, but ours is actually the only recognized sister unit to the Old Guard, the 3rd Infantry Regiment of Arlington, Virginia. So when Mm -hmm. you see all the funerals and color guard stuff and the stuff that happens in Arlington, we are the only unit that actually does exactly what they do out there just here in Indiana. So every section they've got from, you know, a casket teams, color guards, caisson platoon with horses and drawing the caisson, we have that all here in Indiana. And we're the only National Guard in the nation that has that. So That's amazing. That is amazing. Well, thank you again so much for doing this for us. And uh, so, Christy, can you kind of give us a meaning of what Memorial Day and how it came about? Well, Memorial Day rose out of the grief and tragedy of the Civil War. Uh, Memorial Day was originally called Declaration Day, and in 1873, New York became the first state to observe this day as a remembrance. And by 1890, all the northern states had begun celebrating this day of remembrance and celebrating the cause of the Union. But when the North started to move away from honoring the northern values and shifting to honoring those that had served, then the southern states started to embrace the Declaration Day as well. And over time, the name of the holiday shifted from Declaration Day to Memorial Day. And after World War I, the holiday was expanded to honor all those that had died in all the American wars, not just the Civil War. And in 1971, it formally became a national holiday. Mm-hmm. He's shaking his head. So I got that right? Yes, ma'am. I guess. <laughs> so, you know, when we came in and we started this and we were talking about this right before the show, we actually got corrected because we said we wanted to do something to honor you. And it's not about honoring you, right? Correct. So there's a there's a difference between Veterans Day and Memorial Day. Um, and it's something that most military members know the difference. But unless you kind of grew up maybe around a military family or you were just somebody that was, um, I don't want to say over-patriotic, but patriotic enough to do the research to understand what each holiday is about, Veterans Day is about honoring our veterans. Usually you're living veterans, um, but also time to honor our fallen but Memorial Day is exactly that. It's a Memorial Day to honor our fallen service members. So a lot of times you'll see those things where organizations or groups are wanting to bring soldiers in and thank them and whatever else. And and really it should be a day to, not that you can't say, hey, thank you for your service or you know do, do something kind for a service member, but really pause and, and try to think about and understand what that actually means, honoring a fallen soldier. And it could be from, from anything. It could be from, you know, killed in action. It could be, you know, you have training accidents. Um, you have soldiers that, 
that suffer from things that you know, unfortunately take their own lives. Mm-hmm. Um, but a soldier does exactly that. They, they soldier, or you know, not to exclude any other branch of service, they do what they, they, they sign up to do. And that's mm-hmm. the great thing about, about our country now. It's an all-volunteer army or military. When, you, when you're honoring the fallen, especially now, or more current service members, you're, you are honoring a fallen service member that really raised the right hand, swore to defend the Constitution of the United States, and up to the price of their life. And, and that's what the day is about, is that they signed that blank check and said, you know, hey, I'm willing to support and defend my country, my, you know, the Constitution of the United States, even if it means sacrificing my life. And then they did. I didn't know that because I guess my, again, living here in Indianapolis, my Memorial Day holiday revolves around the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And they do, I think, a fabulous job of honoring uh, not only the fallen, but the current current military. It's very, if you've never been to the Indianapolis 500, it is very well represented. So, yeah, that's a very good education for us. That yeah, and you're part of that festivities, right? I have been in the past, yes. So I've been with the ceremony approximately 10 years, and then, again, as the full, there's only one full-time person in the unit, which is the operation of the NCO, and I did that position for about three and a half years. But everybody else that's in this unit here is is a volunteer. So oh, they have okay. other full-time jobs either in the military or they're the traditional guardsman that has a civilian job, and they do their training on the weekend and, you know, their annual training each year. And so stemming anywhere from funerals to color guards out the track, um, our firing party firing the three-volley salute, um, that's actually something that I like to educate people on as well, is when you see these riflemen out at a military funeral, it's not a 21-gun salute. Most of the time there is a seven, seven riflemen out there. So when they fire three volleys, 21 rounds end up being fired. Did not know that. It's actually a three-volley salute. And that it goes way back, and, and I'm not quite sure exactly on the dates and times, but Back to when wars would happen and, you know, these soldiers are fighting on the battlefield. And the battlefield would get so littered with dead and wounded that they literally couldn't fight. And so there would be basically a timeout. Emissaries would come out and, you know, other soldiers would come out, police up the, the battlefield of their dead and wounded. And they'd fire three volleys from a cannon or, or some kind of loud munition to symbolize to the other side, we've policed up ours. That was their cue to go out and police up their dead and wounded. They'd do the same thing. They fire three volleys and return, and then basically game back on. Really? So that's kind of the, okay. the origin of wow. the wow. three volley salute. Twenty-one gun salute is actually reserved for the president of the United States to the nation, and it's done by cannon. And so uh, this ceremony does that as well. But hmm. you'll see that a lot, obviously, out in Arlington with the, the old guard out there in the salute battery. So I've actually been to Arlington and watched the changing of the guard. Mm-hmm. I think it is one of the most impressive things that I have ever seen. And I was just in D.C. a few weeks ago and was reading the criteria for the soldiers. I think there's only been 420 of them or something throughout history. It is amazing. I mean, because it's not you don't devote just for your time. Right. I mean, you can't. You can't swear. You can't drink you, for the rest of your life. Correct. It is amazing. And the special clothes and shoes and um when the hurricane came through and Congress said, we're going to let you not guard for this time, they were like, absolutely not. And what they went through during Correct. the hurricane was incredible. I think it was, everybody should see it. I think it's, it's very patriotic and it's very, very impressive, I it's, think. And, it, you know, that's a great example of a Memorial Day theme. So you have these soldiers that go volunteer again once they, I mean, they've already raised the right hand. And they're volunteering to go through a training regiment again, shapes their life in a different direction than most other soldiers. They're doing it to guard unknown fallen soldiers. 
<laughs> and the fact that the rain, sleet, snow, shine, you know, worse weather than in the post office. even Right, right, right. Um, yeah, if do, you look at pictures, you can see just snow accumulating, and they, they don't even, you know, they don't flinch. And, and there's been rumors, you know, people are trying to say, well, no, at night when nobody's there. No, it's literally 24-7 that they do that. So it, it's wow. an amazing feat, amazing dedication. Um, I know I, I would never be able to do that. Yeah, I think it's, they said that they can't speak, watch TV, have any communication with anyone for six months during their training. The training regiment, again, there's stuff out there that you'll read online and and the stuff that they tell you there. I don't think we actually get a clear picture of exactly what it is, but they're definitely very stringent. And anything in the military, it's, it's kind of the same way. If you do anything to bring discredit upon yourself or your unit, your nation, things can be done to you for punishment or whatever else. Mm -hmm. But I mean, that, earning that tomb badge, um, I can't even imagine what that means. And the fact of if they would risk that by – because, yeah, they could be out of the military 10, 15 years. And if they get caught, arrested for something, whatever else, you know, the old guard finds out about that. Yeah, they will perm- remove the orders really? to remove that badge from that individual. Yeah. So, I mean, they take that's that very seriously. Special character. Yeah. But there's nothing like, like a military funeral. I mean, it just makes you feel – patriotic. I one of the questions I wanted to ask cuz I didn't realize this until Christy told me. We have our own like kind of Arlington, right? Here in Indiana. So we have got a couple we've got uh one uh federal cemetery that I I know of that we operated out of not frequently enough but Mary National Cemetery. There's talks I think they're planning on putting uh, another national a new national cemetery as near Crown Hill. I think they're either mm-hmm. purchasing some of their land or mm-hmm. or button up right against it. That's the other unique thing about Basically, really, all the other states and territories are National Guard compared to Arlington as well, too. So those soldiers out in Arlington, they're based out there and solely work in Arlington National Cemetery. When they do funerals, it's in Arlington National Cemetery. Now, they will do, occasionally, they'll do funerals outside of there for certain VIPs or uh, generals, whatever else, or Medal of Honor recipients in other places in the nation. But again, they're out there probably days in advance rehearsing that area, whatever else. Mm -hmm. The ceremony unit here for Indiana... Literally every single mission we have is in a different uh, cemetery anywhere anywhere in Indiana. And we've oh, actually, okay. And we've actually done funerals outside the state as well, too, for higher-ranking or higher-dignitary uh, people that are authorized a ceremony unit funeral outside the state as well. Okay. Um, so to receive a, a military funeral from the Military Department of Indiana Ceremony Unit, it's primarily for currently serving or retired Indiana Guardsmen. But also that includes our state Army Board members, Senators and congressmen, if the governor passes that down, but also former governors. So here a couple of years ago, we did uh, Governor uh, O.S. Bowden's funeral downtown. And it, just like it would happen if, if he was buried elsewhere in Arlington with the honors, I mean, he got the full honors of a uh, full cortege. He was drawn by a caisson from the War Memorial to the State House. They did the service at the State House. We fired the, the number of rounds he was entitled to with the cannons in the front lawn. We did a three-volley salute. He had an A-10 flyover from the, the one, 22nd Fighter Wing out of Fort Wayne. So we worked hand-in-hand with the Indiana State Police and other organizations to make that happen. So, again, with that, we're, we're kind of unique. And is but, that just because he's governor, like commander-in-chief of uh, Indiana? Uh, correct. As opposed yep. to he may or may not have had military service. Exactly. Uh, if I remember correctly, I, I believe Governor Bowen did have former military service. However, uh, due to his status as governor, Yes, he's the commander-in-chief of our National Guard at that time. And so that's one of the other reasons why we honor former governors. Go back on the the thing that you said about um, that patriotic feel at a military funeral. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've all experienced loss or not, but, I mean, obviously everybody loses somebody. And so it's uh, nobody can tell a person how to grieve or whatever else. And Mm -hmm. and everybody wants 
their loved ones or their friends' funeral to be the best that it can be, to honor them, pay tribute right. to them, whatever else. But as a military, not just our nation, but, you know, we get more attention just being in the United States. We ensure we take care of our own and, and not really even take care of our own. We're honoring that soldier, but the, the U.S. military has done a very good job progressing, taking care of our families, of our fallen. Um, so there's an extensive program that casualty assistance officers and casualty notification officers go through now to make sure that the families of the fallen, while that loved one's being returned to them from either overseas, across the country, whatever else, that they have all the correct information, the appropriate information, stuff that they may not normally get if they were just it was just a civilian that maybe died in a car accident in California and they're mm-hmm. from Florida. Oh. Um, you know, this this assistance officer is is gonna be with them night and day if that, that individual needs it to make sure they get the information that they need and then rolling into the, the funeral, but then and also afterwards to make sure that, you know, appropriate benefits get to them and stuff like that. Um, and then basically allowing that, that family to remain a part of, I can only speak for the Army, the Army family as long as they want. Um, so we have oh, Gold wow. Star family members who initially lost their loved ones at the beginning of the wars with Iraq and Afghanistan. And they're still grossly involved with the Indiana National Guard because to them this is still family, and they want to be around something that reminds them of their that's loved amazing. one. That's amazing. That's great. That is, cool. is, is that Indiana specific, or is that a, is that a, across that's, the country? That's just a DOD a... thing. So okay. each branch of service has their own casualty notification and assistance program. Um, I'm obviously familiar with ours. Um, I was actually the coordinator for our state for that as well during the same time, um, and so I was intimately involved with not just the active duty soldiers that were K overseas, whatever else, but even our traditional guardsmen that unfortunately pass away outside of duty, you know, injured at work or illness, disease. They're still a part of the family, and their family is still our family. So we need to make sure that they're taken care of as well. And, you know, that is a whole other longer story that dates back. You know, you know the classic example is uh, we were soldiers, and, you know, you see the telegrams being oh, delivered to mm-hmm. the door, um, and then the one spouse took it over and, you know, started doing it. That was kind of the wake-up call to, hey, we're kind of doing this wrong. And so, again, it's kind of a spinoff of this, but it all ties into honoring that fallen soldier. And, it, and it's no different than any other person. The moment that, that that soldier's name is not spoken anymore or written down or memorialized, that soldier's forgotten. And so Memorial Day is that time to where if you don't do it throughout the year, at least do it on that day. Find a, a face and a name, maybe somebody you don't know. Just look at that. Look at the face and look at the name. Try maybe you know, go, thankfully now Google them or you know Yahoo oh, or whatever yeah. else. Look them up. Mm-hmm. See what they passed away from. See what they're doing. See their their backstory. And then I'd say just personally, my my the way I feel on it from the soldier side, recognize what that soldier did for you. So there's a lot of debate out there nowadays with you know people not agreeing with militaries being involved this or this operation, that operation, whatever else. Um, and and I'm, I'm in no position to say we're right or wrong on that. I serve for my reasons. Right. I will do the same thing. I'll go where I'm told, and I'll, I'll do what I need to do. And uh, I obviously hope that comes down to duty, yep. right? You know. And, <laughs> and so, if we weren't a volunteer army, or if we were a you know conscript army, or you know just hey, you're told everybody from this age to this age has to serve. That's where you do see those things, and especially in history too, where you have armies that that fall and countries that fall um, because they didn't have militaries that were willing to. To fight no matter what. I believe with most of the soldiers that I know, whatever the reasons are for serving, they're willing to pay that ultimate sacrifice to ensure that they know why they're gone at least. pays off in the long run as far as making sure their family, friends, country is protected in the long run. Exactly. And uh, now my my priorities have changed. So um, I enlisted at the age of 17. Uh, You can do that in the National Guard. You can enlist while you're 17. Oh, I didn't know that. So my mom was my recruiter. 
Uh, my mom <laughs> oh, served really? 26 okay. years in, in the, uh, the reserves between the, the Army Reserve, the Army National Guard, and the Air National Guard. And she'd always joke that she had my enlistment papers filled out from the day I was born. <laughs> right next to your birth certificate. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, growing up, I was always like, yeah, I'm going to be in the Army like mom. And then I hit my teenage years, and I was like, oh, no, I ain't, I ain't doing that. And then, uh, long story, I changed my mind, but I needed to have two waivers. I needed to have a waiver. My mom signed a waiver because I was 17, and then I needed a waiver because I was underweight. Underweight. Weighed 117, um, maybe because I was I was a swimmer and and uh, you know I was eating a lot and did a lot of cardio and, and the army's like you're too scrawny, but, <laughs> so I went to basic training between my junior and senior year of high school, and then I did my job skill training after I graduated and then came to you know came as a, a traditional guardsman. So initially I did it as as a family history thing. My mom was in, my grandfather was in. My great grandfather is. I used to joke around, kind of looking. We were the Lieutenant Dan's, just about all the deaths. Before, so. <laughs> um, and then, really, my eye opening or my change of why I continue to serve really came um, after my deployments. So I've deployed three times: twice to Iraq and once to Afghanistan. So I deployed in 2003 to Iraq, and that changed my outlook on life, um, just imagine. from the experiences that I had there. I was actually going to get out because I was going to do my six years at the time, get out. We, uh, so I was stop-lost from finishing my six years, but every service obligation is initially eight years. So they're going to put me into what they call the uh, the IRR, the Inactive Ready Reserve, and really they can pull you out of that at any time and put you anywhere. A lot of my friends that I, that I knew from active duty whatever else were getting pulled out of it. So I was like, well, if I'm going to deploy again in this next year and a half, um, even though I'm getting ready to get out, I want to do it with somebody I know at least, or at least my home state. In mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I extended in the Indiana Guard and actually ended up deploying again with the unit here and was stop-loss there uh, past my eight years. And that really changed my perspective of why I served and Memorial Day for me. So uh, on that deployment, I lost a, a friend of mine from high school um, in my unit. We, uh, we had gone to high school together. I graduated with his brother and uh, Paul was killed by a sniper in Missoula. We'd had other injuries, and we'd had other uh, service member deaths and units around us, but that was that was our our casualty. It just really hit home. You know, here, here's a guy I went to high school with, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a little bit younger than me. Uh, we never really hung out in high school, but, I mean, that was our connection. You know, out of the sure. 152 guys that were there with us at the time, Paul and I were from the same hometown, the same high school, knew the same people, you know, whatever. <laughs> and so whenever we'd pass each other and talk, whatever else, it was usually up home. And so seeing him lying there in, in the medical hospital after he'd been killed, my focus, in a way, was kind of wrong. I focused to how do we honor Paul because, you know, he's just the good hometown boy that wanted to serve his country. But I'm in Iraq. I can't go anywhere. Um, I, I tried to volunteer to be his escort home. Uh, that didn't happen. Um, so I reached out back home to some people I knew, trying to make sure things were done right. And Paul was the first death that, that Huntington, Indiana, had had since the Vietnam War. Oh, um, really? And I was, I guess I didn't have a good pulse on my hometown. I knew, I thought they were a pretty conservative town. I felt they were pretty patriotic, but I, I didn't know how they would take it. I, I really didn't know how the town felt about the wars and, you know, and everything sure. else. Everything I saw on the news and the emails I was getting, whatever else, just blew me away. They used the high school because they knew that they were going to have the turnout that they were going to have. Thousands of people turned out to honor him. Uh, the Patriot Guard riders were there and lined the front. Uh, because there were some protesters that came. He was buried at the high school, and or the service of the high school, and then he was buried out in the country, much, approximately maybe 10 miles away, and maybe a little less. But, I mean, the roads were mm-hmm. lined with people and flags the whole way out. Wow. So, and there was business signs and, you know, everything else. So it, 
it warmed the heart to know that people looked at the right way. That's a good point. It does. It, it warms your heart to but, but see I, him. But I think it also changed Huntington's view of Memorial Day potentially as well, too. You oh, know, really? Um, yeah, I didn't go up there for Memorial Day services after it, but things that I would see online, my mom still lives up there, you know, things that I would hear, you know, it just brought back into perspective for that town what Memorial Day is about. I think that kind of goes back to some of the initial things that we said at the beginning was unless you're exposed to something, raised around something, whatever else, right. some people just don't understand the difference between the two or what you should, you know, an etiquette, I guess you say, am I supposed to thank a service member? Am I supposed to honor? Right, you know? exactly. In these towns, especially these small towns, I think a lot of times that was their awakening moment to really what Memorial Day is compared to Veterans Day. Um, to experience that loss. Exactly. To really get the idea of it. Makes sense. Well, it has to give you some kind of peace when you are deployed to know that your wife or your kids, your family, that they're not going to be alone, that, that they are going to be taken care of. So most organizations within the Army, at least, we have a family support group. So when soldiers deploy or go to even go to just go to schools, you know, the whole unit's not going. I can go to a school for a couple months. You know, technology is great nowadays. I can, you know, text, call, you know, on off hours, whatever else. Uh, but when you're overseas, that's not always the case. But knowing that there's people that my spouse can turn to and, and talk to, yeah, that does make me feel a lot better. My last deployment was a great example. When I deployed, my wife was, I forget how many months pregnant. Ooh. And it was our second child, but, I mean, that's my job. And, right. and the, my wife was a flight paramedic at the time working for a, a flight company down south, and it was the day of the Hinterville tornadoes was the day that I was getting on the plane to fly to Afghanistan. And so I'm sitting at the Indianapolis airport, the plane's out there, they're prepping it, the soldiers are just sitting there, they got the one wing closed down for us, because um, when you deploy like that, they, there's certain different things they do. But the news was on, and they were focused on the, the tornado that was actively going on in Henryville. And uh, I started thinking about it, I was like, well, my wife's post that she works at is like right in there. I was like, mm, I bet she'll fly for somebody there if somebody's injured. Sure enough, yeah, the, she had four flights that day. I mean, when they flew in for the first flight, they, she said that you could literally, they were watching the tornado leave the area. Wow. Um, and a lot of people that know anything about the Henryville tornadoes remembers the story of a, about a two-year-old little girl that was found in a field. My wife flew her. Oh, and really? our son okay. was two at the time. Oh, no. And she's pregnant. Wow. And I'm leaving for Afghanistan. Um, so, I mean, I was trying to call her, and she actually tried to answer, but I couldn't hear anything, and the helicopter blades are going. <laughs> right. And, and uh, so a couple days later, I was able to finally talk to her, and, and she's like, you know, I, I, I don't think I can do this right now, especially while you're gone. You know, it's just being pregnant, the risks on the helicopter, seeing this child mm-hmm. in, in front of me, whatever else. So I had battle buddies here that uh, some good friends of mine that I'd known for a while in the military that – Without even even asking, they reached out to her on a regular basis and just, you know, what do you need? What do you need help with? You know, what do you want? Of course, my family was was uber supportive. Um, my mom, being a former military member, my sister um, was going to kind of stand in for me. She's the one that actually cut my daughter's cord. Um, awesome. You know, stuff nice. like that. And, of course, Jen's family was, was sure. there for her as well. But there was a talk of, with my Sergeant Major of, you know, we're going to try to get you home. You know, it sh- shouldn't be an issue. But I didn't get my hopes up. And sure enough, yeah, the, the because there wasn't an emergency, we weren't there a full 12 months. We were on, then they scaled deployments back to nine months, so you didn't even get, like, mid-tour leave and stuff. Thankfully, technology allowed me to watch via Skype. Oh, good. Okay. So that was the closest. Yeah. But, I mean, that was another eye-opener for me is here I am seven 8,000 miles away. My daughter's being born. I'm not there. Um, I mean, what if something, you know, what if I'm watching on Skype sure. and something happens, happens to my wife, you know, or my daughter, you know, whatever. But the support network back here, I mean, again, that allowed me to stay in touch. 
you know, everything was in place. There's people, but, you know, command level even back here was tracking them. My wife was pregnant and was keeping tabs on things. So well, that's good. That well, that's good that to know. Yeah, that they have yeah. such a support group going on, especially active uh, retirees. It sounds like, it, well, like a brotherhood or sisterhood. And um, so, yeah, definitely. Well, I was kind of interested in if, if for the individuals that are killed in active duty, what do, what does that look like? Because isn't that you know we see it on TV? That's a big. You mean the difference uh, between killed in action and then another type of death? Or? Well, I mean uh, coming home, bringing them home. because so, isn't that there's a lot of um, tradition, yeah, tradition to that too, isn't there? There is, and we've refined it more, I think, for the better as far as how we honor those soldiers and help those families grieve. I can honestly say that um, there's a lot of similarities even between a soldier that is killed overseas and a soldier that dies for whatever reason here in the United States. A lot of times, unless they're close, those soldiers will be flown home. So, of course, if they're overseas, they're flown home, mm-hmm. and they go into Dover Air Force Base. Um, there's a transfer done there. Whatever branch of service you know, handles you know, whatever they are, they take care of their, their service member, and then you know, help them get sent wherever they need to to go home. Active duty soldier that was down at Fort Hood, Texas, if I remember right, had perished. They flew him home, I mean, with honors. And the funeral honors team that's here in Indiana, which is a, a so each state um, that has a guard as well, but each territory, I believe, as well, also has a, a funeral honors program. So ceremonial unit um, is a state program here at the Indiana National Guard, but every state also has a military funeral honors program for, at least I'm speaking for Army. So there's a separate team, separate soldiers that actually get paid on a regular basis to do funerals here in Indiana. Oh, okay. They will do plainside honors. They, I mean, in the plainside honors that you see at Dover is, is a, uh, a dignified transfer where they're taking the soldier off and they get to go to prep, whatever else. But when they come home, no point do they need to be treated like cargo. Yeah, right. they may fly in the belly of a plane and whatever else. Almost every airline that we've ever worked with is amazing on how they, they handle a soldier's remains coming home. Really? And then okay, for cool. us specifically, too, we're there to take that soldier off the plane, load them into that coach to go to the funeral home or wherever the families requested those remains to go. Um, so, And there's somebody with that soldier the whole time. There's there's an escort that, that flies in that plane, comes down for the transfer, you know, has all the additional information that's needed. If there's anything that needed to come with the soldier, an award or the flag initially wasn't on the casket, be just for transport to make sure it didn't get messed sure. up, you know, they'll, they'll carry that flag. And then the honors team will, will transfer them, and then that, that escort goes with them to the funeral. Until until that soldier is appropriately handed over to a funeral home or whoever's there, somebody with that soldier. And so... Um, That's good to know. That's amazing. Yeah, that is cool. Now, do you guys ever do it... I, I know you said for the Army, but mm-hmm. do, do you ever cross over to We have out? assisted. So, give me an example. So, the Indiana Guard, I mean, we're the fourth largest per capita National Guard in the nation. Um, I think that has, speaks volume actually That's to the Midwest I did not know um, that. and the values here. N- nothing against anybody else. I just <laughs> I really believe that it is because I think Pennsylvania is one of the largest. I will and, say Indiana is the best. But the ceremony unit, we average about 50 funerals a year. Again, we focus on currently serving or, or retired National Guardsmen. The funeral honors program conducts about 200 a month. Oh, wow. It, throughout the state of Indiana. The other branches of service do their correlation as well. Obviously, Army being the largest branch, we do a lot of service. Now, of course, California does probably a 1,000 a month just right. because they got a, a larger population whatever else. DOD policy is that every service member that is entitled to a military funeral gets a military funeral if that's what the family requests. So if you know, we've got more soldiers just being the Army, if Navy or Marine Corps or Air Force needs help, we will go assist them. I mean, ideally, it says in the reg, at least have one member from that branch there. 
So, I mean, if they, if they can only provide one Marine to a funeral, we'll bring two soldiers to help, you know, fold the flag or play taps, and that Marine will present the flag to the family. Oh, okay. Um, if they can't at all, I mean, at least a service member is there to present the flag to the, the family. And, and at least in Indiana, I can say I, I, I very rarely do I think that has that ever happened. I mean, we have crossed branches and helped. A lot of times it's more on the family's request. Uh, an example with that was the former adjutant general, Major General Umbarger, his father was a Navy veteran, passed away, and he asked the ceremonial unit to assist with his funeral because the Navy was said they were a little short-staffed. Um, so the Navy was able to send uh, a lieutenant commander, I believe, to help present the flag, and then we assisted with the casket carry and, and everything else. Oh, okay. So we crossed over that way. So and it would be the same no matter which branch of the military. It would. If, if, okay. if they need, and and it, it would go the other way, too. If we needed help, I'm sure, I don't know why, I mean, unless we really get hammered with, <laughs> with services, but... That, but that's the thing that goes into being a service member. I, you could probably take untrained soldiers and say, hey, we've got this funeral. Funeral honors or ceremony unit cannot. We've got so many other services or whatever else going on. We literally cannot cover down on this. And soldiers would step up and say, okay, show me what I need to do. You know, okay, I, nice, I may, right. maybe a little messed up, but show me what to do. But then you also have all these awesome veteran service organizations out there, these former service members out there, too, that are providing funeral honors as well, too, for, you know, some of these soldiers get out and they go to legions or VFWs, and they become tight with those individuals, and they've mm-hmm. just elected, hey, I don't really want the Army Army to come out. I want my guys to do my funeral. And so oh, and you guys- th- there's a validation program they can go through with us to mm-hmm. make sure that they're good to go and they can actually um, get a stipend from us to help maintain their equipment and stuff like that. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's so cool. there, there's partnerships out there. Basically, if a soldier, if, if a service member goes without military honors at their funeral, it's usually because the family's uninformed that, one, they may not even been in the service. You know, they may have married somebody years after and never talked about it, and they never knew until they passed away, even mm-hmm. sometimes. Records are lost or they just, you know, some, something in that regard. Um, or just a veteran that, that um, you know, sometimes you see on the news, there's a veteran that has no family, you know, whatever else. And so a lot of times the funeral homes will, will reach out and say, hey, what can we do? Oh, that's even, that's pretty cool too. Yeah. But the, the thing that I would want people to know too is that Honors don't have to be given just at the funeral. So, I mean, if there's a veteran that was interred, you know, 10 years ago, and you find out then that, hey, it was a veteran, and we can legitimately say they did not receive honors, honors can be requested for them. So you do basically like a memorial service for them, go out and perform the honors, um, you know, minimum by law, the plaintiff taps and the folding and presentation of the flag. Going back to that veteran that doesn't have family, that flag will be presented to the funeral home. The funeral home will place it with the remains, and then if family's ever identified, then they'll transfer that flag to to the family that has found. But even if it's a fourth cousin, if that's the only family they've identified, then that, know. you know that that at least goes to that family. So um, <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah, I did not know it was that involved. I mean, and it sounds like you take these duties very seriously. That this is something that has to be done right every time. Right, you, you don't get a chance to do it over. So, so that's the thing. You Good have right. to be right the first time. Um, if you fold the flag wrong or, you know, if you're doing the three-volley salute and one rifle's off, um, you get uh, an inexperienced uh, taps player or, you know, something like that, and they crack a note. You know, some families take that personally, uh, mm-hmm. maybe if they're really hardcore in the military. But I've never heard a family, you know, oh, my gosh, that, that bugler is horrible or, you know, man, really the gunshots are off. But the pride in the organization that you have, wanting to make sure – you want the family to focus on that that veteran, the memory of the veteran. You don't want them focused on why is this flag coming untucked, or you know why was this messed up or that messed up. You know right. why does that soldier's uniform look horrible? No, you know you right. spend countless hours training bef- 
before just to learn the job, but then even each funeral, I mean, I've done this for over 10 years. Every funeral we go to, there's a minimum of an hour rehearsal beforehand, walking the grounds, finding out exactly where that soldier's remains are going to go, who's the point of contact, who's the flag going to. And then when they get there, let me see the face of the person that's receiving the flag so you don't accidentally give it to the wrong person Mm -hmm. or or create that. That would um, be bad. Yeah. And so you, you rehearse those things to make sure that it's right the first time because, again, that you want that memory to be there of my service member was honored this way by their branch of service. It was impressive. Right. I, ne- you know, in a lot of family, they, they haven't seen that before. Then. I've never seen anything like this. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And oh, I bet. And it's, you know, this we're here to pay honor to your loved one, but also make sure that you're, you're taken care of as well, too. And now, so. when you have somebody new come in and they, they see this for the first time, is there like – and I know this might sound a little bit morbid, but do you have like a mock funeral? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. It depends on how they come in, how much experience they've had with stuff, whatever else too. You know, we just don't grab somebody, throw them right on a casket. And it does change your, each individual is different. So like uh, uh, me as an example, I've come actually very numb to the, the concept of death. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't affect me like it does some other people. You know, they, they'll still hear taps or they'll see that family member crying and they get choked up over it, you know, whatever else. And I, I used to be that way. Sure. Um, I, I've learned to be able to flip a switch. And when I'm there and it's time to perf- not perform, but perform those duties, that's what I'm doing. I'm not going to allow the family to see me weep over my fallen battle buddy and worry about me, you know, if I'm right. okay. No, oh. it's they, this it's is their, them. them and their loved one. I'm not going to distract from that. It may hit me later that night, especially if it's somebody I know. It may get me later beforehand. Right. But I'm able now with the mechanisms I've learned coping-wise to deal with that. And I had a previous um, career being working EMS on an ambulance, so I was exposed to death that way too. Mm-hmm. And then even deployments, I think, you know, the things that I've seen there help with it on coping mechanisms for death allows me really to focus on the, the task to be, what needs right. to happen. And so I, tr- I don't try to tell soldiers that they need to be that way. You know, everybody needs to grieve their own way. But that's what I tell them is we're not here for you today. We're not here for you, you know, especially if it's their battle buddy. And I want, I want to carry my, my battle buddy to his final resting place. Great. But maybe you're not trained enough on this or maybe you're normally a color guard guy. You've never been trained on casket. I'm not going to put you on the casket because right. you're not trained and proficient on that. And it's not, we're not trying to take away from you honoring your, your fallen battle buddy. But you need to realize you need to do this for the family. You need to do this to honor your, your battle buddy, and let's make it as perfect as possible. Mm-hmm. And not, I'm not saying that you would drop a casket or you know whatever else, but we don't have the time because death is never planned well. It's always right. last minute and you know or unexpected. Um, so we don't have that time. But in the future, if this is something you want to do, let's get you over to train with the casket team or let's get you on the firing party and train with them. So that way, if the time comes and you can or want to do that, you can. But, yeah, again, like I said, we need to focus on the family and, and honoring that fallen soldier. So, um, And I guess that, again, that's where I go with the Memorial Day aspect of this is that any of your listeners that listen to this is that's what I'm trying to say. I don't want to say you're wrong. Know the difference between Veterans Day and Memorial Day. Just that is the difference. You know, Veterans Day is that day to snatch those veterans up and thank them and, and whatever else. Most soldiers and, and airmen and marines that you know, you're going to run into are going to be like, you know, no, 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 thank you, you know, try to move on. <laughs> um, be, because, you know, they, we don't do it for the thanks, you know, whatever else. It's nice. Sure. Um, I'm, I'm not going to say, gosh, they're thanking me again. You know, <laughs> it's appreciative. At least I know I'm, gonna, yeah. I'm appreciated for what I do. Mm-hmm. But even if you didn't appreciate what I'm doing, I'm still going to do it. I believe that most service members are that way. On Memorial Day uh, or any day, 
Um, I actually have a shirt from a company, a, a, a buddy of mine uh, created whatever else that says, uh, like, America, every day is Memorial Day. There are Good soldiers point. that have died on that day, probably every day in history. And there's right. a great Facebook group out there that I follow. I can't remember the name off the moment. But every single day, if there's been a soldier in the war on terror that's, that's been KIA that day, they post their picture and name. And, and every day, I have it to where it comes up very first in my feed, you know, the find first or look mm-hmm. first or whatever else. So, you know, if I open up my phone and they've just posted that, I see it, I blow it up, I look at every single name. I look at every single face. Most of them I don't know. I, I've never met them in my entire life, never will, never know their background, their family, whatever else. I look at their face at least. I, I, I say their name in my head or out loud mm-hmm. depending on what I'm doing because they deserve that. They, they they've deserve paid that. the ultimate sacrifice. And it's like what I was saying going back to, the moment that their name is not said, their face is put away, you know, whatever else, that's when that, that soldier or that, that service member is erased from history. And, and so, forgotten for what and forgotten. they yeah, yeah. For and what that they is, I, I think really any human's thing is to not be forgotten. forgotten right. um, but especially to be able to don the uniform and, and, you know, serve our country. It's not like we expect it any more than anybody else. But even if I was a civilian, I would say the same thing, that they deserve it uh, for right. what they do. Um, you know, some people just can't serve. You know, right. there's lots of people just for health reasons or, or whatever else just can't serve, and that tears them up. Uh, the few of us that are able to do it, it's not like we need to be treated like heroes all the time or, hey, you're super great, you know, whatever else. But if anything, I think a, a service member would say at least at least at minimum, you know, remember and thank our fallen. You, you, don't, you don't have to like me, what I do, what I'm training. I'm an infantryman, and mm-hmm. my job in the Army is to go out and kill the bad guy. Right. Um, you, you don't have to glorify that. You don't have to recognize that portion of it. Just recognize that soldiers like me are, are willing to protect you, not just here, but over there. Right. And if you don't understand that concept, then you know, I, can't, I can't learn it for you. Um, right. So what would you suggest for somebody who's listening and says, oh, man, yeah, I've failed at this. Now, how, would, how would somebody go about to honor that better? My opinion. Um, again, like I do every day, I see that. I, then I share it. Um, you know, sometimes I know the soldiers or airmen or Marines that are in there, and I'll say a little something about it. But again, there's going to be people out there that don't know any of those faces or names. Um, and again, just, just learn a story about something, somebody, if, if that's what you're willing to do. You know, look up, you know, you can just Google it, you know, just all the names that, of everybody that's died, not even in the war on terror, but, you know, Vietnam and World War One, Korea, you know, whatever, you can find these people's names and pictures. And farther back, probably a little harder to hear their stories. I will plug the, um, the Veterans History Project uh, that, that is done that collects stories from veterans and is stored at the Library of Congress. Uh, I was involved with that for a couple of years. Amazing to sit with these World War II veterans and hear their stories. Hmm. Um, a lot of the, again, going back to the, a lot of these veterans that just don't, wouldn't share that, and I haven't shared that mm-hmm. with anybody else. Now we've got it on audio recording for all of history. I mean, that, that soldier, That's Airman that. Marines, one little piece in, during the time they served fills that puzzle for that big picture. Mm-hmm. And as soon as they die, that story's gone. Right. So pull up one of those stories and listen to it. And if you find one that, you, that really intrigues you, share it with a friend or family. Say, hey, you know, we don't know this, this individual, but this story's actually pretty amazing. I mean, they did this, this, and this. And it doesn't have to be, quote, unquote, a war hero, you know, whatever else. Um, I was also blessed to go on an honor flight. Uh, I took a World War II veteran as an escort to Washington, D.C. to see their memorial. And, and Harold was a very humble man, and he was a, a B-17 pilot during World War II, was stationed in Guam. And he one of the first things he told me about his service, he said, if, if Truman hadn't dropped the bombs, he goes, I would have died in Japan. 
he just he just knew because of the mm-hmm. way the Japanese were built up on their army and everything else, and the, the way the Air Force and the Army Air Corps worked at the time, he just he knew that he would have died if they were to invade Japan, and so he didn't feel that he deserved any kind of recognition for his service because he didn't go to war. He didn't you know he served during know, the time okay. of war, but he mm-hmm. didn't go to war, and he had friends that did die and whatever else, and. So here I am in my mid-30s, having served for a period of time. Here's this, in my view, this hero of World War II telling me that he doesn't deserve any praise or honor. And I told Harold, I said, Harold, you deserve everything that you're receiving today and more. And I said, yeah, specifically your battle buddies that, that did die and whatever else deserve a little bit more. But nobody would know that story if I didn't share it. Sure. Right, um, exactly. So exactly. even just here on, on your, your, your podcast here. Uh, Harold Whitmire, Major Harold Whitmire. Anybody wants to go out there and look him up? Absolutely. Great, humble gentleman. Uh, passed away here a, a couple years ago, um, but got to go out to Washington, D.C., see his memorial, and lived a great life here. Uh, just one of hundreds of thousands of, well, probably millions of all U.S. history who've served their country, um, served well, uh, may not have seen combat, but you know was willing, willing to raise his right hand and say, I'll do it, and even if it means up to the cost of my life. So... I think that's pretty amazing. So, yeah, when you're having your barbecue and you got your American flags out there, also look up the history of a fallen soldier. You, that's a great – you know, I never really thought about that way. It, it might seem a little corny, especially if you're not a person that does something like that. But, yeah, you got a family get together, a group of friends, whatever else. None of them maybe even served in the military, don't like the military, whatever else. Pull that up. You know, have it up and say, you know, hey, just just for a minute because it is Memorial right. Day. Let's let's yeah, let's crack a beer. Let's Let's, let's talk about – Private Joe Snuffy. And here's what Private Joe Snuffy did. And I think know, that's hey, a great idea. Cheers. 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 And we challenge everybody to do that. Absolutely. You know, and cheers them, toast them, whatever else. Yep. And maybe that'll spur any of those individuals there to kind of do that on their own. Absolutely. Again, Memorial Day is for that day, but I'm a firm believer in that, in that T-shirt that I wear, and I wear proudly, this is America. Every day is Memorial Day. Right. Um, we don't have to wait for a given day once a year. Uh, we can honor our fallen every single day. That's and And... You know, even a shout out there to the first responders, police, firefighters, EMS, you know, whatever else. A concept that I look at that as well, too, is that, you know, if I deploy, I'm deploying overseas somewhere. Unfortunately, we have issues here in our country that, that require, uh, you know, police, fires, fire, you know, whatever else. But, you know, we have policemen and firemen and EMS workers that, that are getting injured and killed in the line of duty every day. You know, I've been to war. I, I went to war and I came back. These individuals are literally leaving their home every day and in some areas going onto a battlefield every single day for 30 years or more. Right. So I, Memorial Day was geared around service members, but I also think it's a great time. And I know they kind of, you know, they're doing the, the police thing out in D.C. right mm-hmm. now, you know, whatever else. But, you know, remember your first responders as well, too, because, I mean, again, they're doing it every – that's their job every right. day. Kind of Soldiers train – you know, yeah. service members train for it every day, but don't do it every day. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Very good point. Well, I got to say, thank you so much for sharing your story, sharing what the true meaning of Memorial Day is, and I really appreciate you doing this for us. My humble opinion. So, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. Well, I got to say, I really enjoyed Sergeant First Class Wall. He gave us a lot of insight on how this thing works, and amazing. well, just the difference between Veterans Day and Memorial Day. I guess I am well educated now. I didn't really realize the difference. I think our listeners will be too. Yeah. Well, Christy, do you have any final thoughts for us today? Well, I think in lieu of a final thought, I think we should just honor those fallen soldiers the best way possible. And we should play taps.
Our hope is today's show gave everyone some insight on what Memorial Day is and isn't. And that when we are celebrating this great American holiday with our friends and family, that we find a way to honor those that have fallen. By talking about their sacrifice, but most importantly, their names. So they are never forgotten.